Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. We believe this message will encourage you as you grow your faith and your relationship with Jesus. Grab your notebook and a pen as we get right into the message. All right. Well, first off, let me again say welcome to Encounter Church. Thanks for hanging out with us today on this beautiful, beautiful rainy day we're having today. But how many of you are glad for the rain? Yes, we much, much need that rain. Uh, but thanks for being here today. I also want to say thank you to uh, the team. I was gone last Sunday. Uh, some of you are like, oh, you were? I was. I was gone last Sunday. But, but the team just did an incredible job of keeping things moving forward, allowing my wife and I to have a, a little bit of a breather just to kind of get away. But we are back today, refreshed and renewed and ready to go. So today we want to jump into part six of a series. I don't know about you, but I'm really enjoying this series. We're diving into the book of Hebrews, a very powerful book of the Bible, uh, one that really challenges us to move beyond just the immature faith, you know, the early Christian faith, and we need that time. That's the the point that we jump in and we're excited and we're passionate, but we got to move beyond that and move into this realm of maturity in our walk with Christ where we we step away from the, the spiritual bottle and dive into the spiritual meat and begin to digest what God has for us. And in this study, we're taking some time to process through the idea that it's not a matter of what we are. It's not just saying, I'm a Christian. It's not just saying, I go to an Assemblies of God church. It's not just saying, I go to church once, twice, three, four times a month. But it's who we are in Christ. It's what we're allowing to run through the DNA of our lives. Are we allowing the fruit of the Spirit... Galatians chapter 5 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But understand, it says the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say the Holy Spirit produces these fruits in you, these characteristics in you, but it's one fruit. We don't get to pick and choose. We don't get to say, well, I'm going to take love today, but I'm not going to take patience because my patience has run out for you. Right, right? How, how many of us would rather pick and choose which fruit we want? Yeah, my wife and I were on vacation last week, and, and a buffet that we went to quite often throughout the week had fruit. And I ate more fruit last week than I've probably eaten in the last seven years. Um, but it's probably good for me. But I got to pick and choose what fruit I wanted. There was some fruit to me that looked better than others. There were fruit juices every day that I got to choose. And one day I got this one. They just called it the green juice. And I was a little concerned, what is the green juice? So I asked the guy, what's in the green juice? He began to name all these things. I thought, oh, it looks pretty healthy. I'm going to try that. I picked it up and I smelt it and it smelled like I had stuck my face in a grass field and just laid there. (laughs) Can I be honest with you today? I didn't choose to drink the green juice. (laughs) The problem in our Christian faith is some of us think, you know what, I'm going to pick and choose what parts of the Christian faith I want. I'm going to choose a little bit of this and a a little bit of that, but I really don't want to engage in that love portion. I don't want to love them because they're weird. Come on, right? 
I don't want to love them because their thought process is different than mine. Now understand, there's a difference between loving somebody and approving of the action. Come on, come on. There's a difference. Love says, I'm willing to go to any extent for you because there's value in your life. What we're talking about in this series is grabbing all that God has for our lives, truly allowing it to be manifest in and through our behaviors, our actions, our thoughts, moving beyond just a title or a name tag that we wear, but allowing all that God is to run through all that we are. But here's the problem. Sometimes we get comfortable. And that's what the author's talking about. The author is speaking to a group of people that are really good at doing the spiritual work. They're really good at, at doing ministry, but the problem is they've gotten comfortable in their faith and they're beginning to drift away. What I want to talk to you about for the next few moments today is just a couple simple words. Never give up. Never give up. There are going to be moments that it's frustrating. There's going to be moments when it's aggravating. And truth be told, I'm here to tell you, mark my word, we're at a crossroads as Christians. We're at a crossroads where the world is watching. Are you truly going to be who the Bible says you should be? Or are you just going to play church? You guys are quiet today. We're at this crossroads where we have to make a decision. Am I truly going to allow all that God is to be alive and relevant in my life? Take a look at our text today. It's found in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12, and it says this, We do not want to become lazy. But to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. We're willing to do the hard work. We're willing to be committed. We're willing to put in the dedication of the hard work in order to fulfill what God has called us to do. Don't become lazy, but be imitators of those who through faith and peace inherit what has been promised. Now, as Christians, we can experience disappointments in life. I talked about that a few moments ago. We can have setbacks that make us want to throw in the towel. We can have moments that make us want to quit. You see, we begin our Christian walk with Christ and we're, we're full of excitement. Maybe you're here today and you've given your life to Christ and you can remember that day. You can remember that moment. You remember the place where you were. You possibly even remember the place where you were standing in that moment when you gave your life to Christ. And it's kind of that camp experience. You leave camp and you're excited. You're passionate. You're telling everybody about Jesus. Maybe you were a teenager or an elementary kid and you thought I'm gonna win my school for God you were super excited everything was going great fully intending to do whatever it takes to make it all the way 
But after a while, sadly enough, Christianity became routine. The same thing over and over and over again. The same prayers, the same songs, the same worship, the same Bible stories. We want to follow Jesus, but we begin to drift. Complacency quickly replaces the passion and the desire to grow. We just get comfortable. The excitement begins to cool. Our dedication is weakened. We even begin to neglect our prayer. We begin to neglect the studying of God's Word. We even put church attendance on the back burner. But before we know it, our faith is weak, perhaps even dead. What then? That's what the author is concerned about. He, he warns us and he encourages us to be diligent to the end. But we must commit our minds to be renewed on the daily basis. Jesus said, if you want to be my follower... Take, your, take up your cross. How often? Daily. Daily, pick up that cross. Deny yourself and follow me. It's a daily choice. It's a daily movement toward the things of God. Say, Lord, I'm willing to do the hard work. God, I don't want to be lazy in you. All of Hebrews is summed up in chapter 6. Verse 1, where it says this, Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. In other words, let us move towards spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is one of the greatest needs in the church body today. Come on. It's one of the greatest needs in the church body Today, But what we must remember is this. Spiritual maturity is not a one-time event. We can't have a special service and say, and advertise it as this. We're going to have a spiritual maturity conference. And then we all come to this conference and we all hang out together and we hear the Word of God. And suddenly we leave and we're spiritually mature. Now we may leave that moment and have more head knowledge. We may leave that moment and be a little bit more excited about God. We may leave that moment and have a, a deeper passion about the calling of God in our lives. But truth be told, maturity isn't a one-time moment. It's not a one-time adventure, but it's a daily journey with Christ. Spiritual maturity is an ongoing pursuit of an all-in approach to our journey with Jesus. It's an ongoing pursuit. It's a daily choice to be all in. All in in your pursuit of God. But as we're in our pursuit of God, we're also in the pursuits of others. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, Jesus said the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is equally important, to love your neighbor as yourself. I share that with you on a regular basis. Why do I do that? Because you can't have one without the other. 
I can't say that I love God, but I hate my neighbor. It doesn't work like that. That causes a discrepancy in my life. But if I love God, then suddenly I've got a love for those around me. I've got a love for the lost. I've got a love for the confused. I've got a love for the broken. I've got a love for those that think so differently than I do. See, that's the love that God wants to place inside of our lives. And as we move to this realm of spiritual maturity, suddenly the DNA that runs through the heart of God begins to infiltrate its way through our lives. And as it's moving through our lives, suddenly we're so filled with who He is that we can't help but to allow it to overflow to those around us. Church, I'm going to challenge you. Pursue a lifestyle of maturity in Christ. We are called not to be average. We're called to be above reproach, to move toward perfection in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that we're perfect, but that means that we're moving to a place where we're more and more and more like Jesus. Now, here's what I've discovered. Maturity requires discipline and hard work. And any church that wants to move forward must have people, must have leaders, must have pastors who are desiring and moving forward with him. I remember 20 some odd years ago when I was a youth pastor. And I remember praying for my youth one night, and I'm calling out to God, and God, help them to go deep with you. God, help these youth to come to know you. God, help them to have a passion and a hunger for you. And God said this to me as clearly as I'm speaking to you today. He said, the youth will only come as close to me and go as deep as you're willing to go in your life. I said, man. Am I willing to put in the hard work? I ask you that question today because truth be told, you may not be a pastor, but you've been called by God to be his representative. Right? That's what the Bible says. That when we give our lives to Christ, that, that suddenly we have this calling, this responsibility to share the good news of Jesus with everyone, everywhere. I would venture to say that, that what you do has a response. There's a cause and effect moment going on with every action that you take. Pinmark that. We're going to come back to that in just a few moments. Maturity requires discipline. It requires hard work. And any of us that want to move forward must be a part and have a desire to move forward with God. But we need one another. We've got to surround ourselves with people that will sharpen us, that will challenge us. We've got to surround ourselves with people that will help us in this pursuit of spiritual maturity. In the next few weeks, we're going to be advertising our our 
e-groups, our small groups, life groups, and I'm going to challenge every one of you to be a part of a life group. I'm going to challenge every one of you to be a part of a smaller group. It's easy as the church continues to grow to come in, to sit on the sidelines someplace, maybe come in a couple minutes late, maybe slip out a couple minutes early, and never really have any conversation or community with other people. But did you know that we were created for community? We were created to have this engagement with one another. And the Bible says, just as iron sharpens iron, we are to sharpen one another. Therefore, we need that time of speaking into one another's lives. Now, today, I want to give you two things that, that I must do, that you must do, to keep from giving up. I asked you earlier, how many of you ever wanted to throw in the towel, and many of you raised your hands. I'm going to give you two things that you've got to do to keep from giving up. Number one is this, choose to be resolved in my commitment. I've got to choose to be resolved in my commitment. If I don't want to give up, if you don't want to give up, you've got to choose to be resolved in your commitment. I will not waver. I will not let go. I'm in it for the long haul. I'm all in. That's our word for the year. I'm all in in my commitment to God. What we're talking about is making a firm commitment to refuse to waver in our calling from God. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 3 says it this way. And so, God willing, we will move forward. Come on, not moving backwards. We will move forward to further understanding. In six chapters, the author here of the book of Hebrews challenges us three times with this idea. Chapter 2, he says, pay careful attention. In chapter 3, he says, don't harden your heart. Chapter 4, he says, be careful that you don't fall back. Now he gives us the key to never giving up. He gives us the key that opens up the door to the rest of the journey of our lives. He says, we will move forward. I've got to resolve in my life. I've got to make a commitment in my life that I'm not going to waver. I'm not going to give up. That from this day forward, I'm going to pursue God. And again, this is a daily choice. Because sometimes you have a week of Mondays. Come on. Anybody ever have a week of Mondays? I mean, you get to Tuesday and you're like, man, it must be Friday by now. Right? It's just one of those weeks. You have those moments where you just don't want to do anything. You just want to give up. I'm telling you what, if you want to get past that, what we've got to do is come to this place that we make a resolve. Lord, I'm making a commitment today, Lord, to be and to do what you've called me to do. Listen carefully. You can't live life without making commitments. You can't. You can't buy a house without making a commitment. You can't truly get married without making a commitment. Nothing worthwhile in life will ever happen without making commitments. But here's the problem. If we try to go through life without making commitments, we will simply 
drift along with no focus. We will go absolutely nowhere very quickly. We'll find ourselves drifting backwards. We'll find ourselves getting stuck on the sandbar in the middle of the river. We'll find ourselves unable to progress and go where God has called us to be. Why? Because we failed to make a commitment. So what are three results of my commitments? Number one, my commitments show my values. I'm going to challenge you. Take some pretty good notes today. We've got the digital notes and the, and the paper copies as well. But my commitments show my values. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says this, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. Now here we're talking about the difference between loving God and loving money, allowing money to be the focal point of our life. But I think we could put anything into this. Anything can become an idol. Anything can become the focal point of our lives. And here he says, you will be devoted to one and you will despise the other. The word despise literally means to regard as negligible or worthless. In other words, saying, you know what? That has zero value in my life. It's not worth my time. It's not worth my effort. If you find yourself loving one thing more than another, in this case, loving money more than God, you find the other, in this case, God, as worthless. There's no point. Now, here's the scary part. This oftentimes happens unknowingly. We get lax in our efforts. We get comfortable in our faith. We put the Word of God to the side. We really don't ever pick it up. We really don't ever read it. We, we don't have much conversation with God. We plan to. We have intentions to. We have a, a thought in the mornings, oh, I've got to give God time today, but the day goes by and, and you just don't. And you think, well, at the end of the day before I go to bed, I'll, I'll spend some time with God. But then the end of the day comes and now you're tired and you just, just go to sleep. We find ourselves becoming lazy in our spiritual journey. We're lax, we're comfortable, and as Christians, i got to ask you a question. What are you going to commit to? Are you willing to go all in? All in in your journey with Jesus? Or are you comfortable just, just playing the spiritual game? Guys, I know, these, I know this is hard, and you're like, welcome back, Pastor. Glad you're here today. But guys, I, I've got to, to speak the truth. I've got to share the word of God with you. Jesus himself said, you're either hot or cold. If you're just playing the game, I'm going to spew you out. What's it going to be for you? The second thing that my commitment reveals is this. My commitment shapes my life. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart. Jesus be the center of my life. 
Jesus be the center of my life. Lord, guard my heart, guard my life. Lord, help me to follow after You because I know that what stirs in here is going to determine the course of my life. It's going to determine where I go in my life. Truth be told, I become whatever I'm committed to. I do. You can tell that, especially in high school. You can walk into a high school and you can sit there in the cafeteria and you can look around the room and you can begin to identify, okay, these are the, the theater kids, okay, these are the, the basketball players, there's my football players over there, there there's the, the choir kids, there's the band students, yeah, those are the skaters and, you know, whatever other groups we have nowadays. You can quickly identify, why? Because that's the life they've committed to. But truth be told, spiritually, we can do the same thing. The Bible says they will know us by our fruits. They will know us by the life that we live. They will know us by the behaviors that we give out. They will know us by the actions that, they, that we take. I will become, you will become, whatever we're committed to. Your life is the sum total of your commitments. If I believe that making money is the most important thing in my life, then that's going to shape my life. If I believe that being liked by people, by being popular is the most important thing, that's going to shape my life. If I think that having a good time is the best thing in the world, that's going to shape my life. My commitments shape my life and determine the road that I follow for better or for worse. Now listen carefully. The choice is yours as to what commitments you make. The Bible says in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, Joshua is speaking. He says, hey, you guys need to choose today. Choose today who you'll serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Today, you have that same choice. Mom and dad, you have that choice. You are leading your household. And I will speak this into you, mom and dad. Don't allow society to raise your kid. Amen. Thank you for that amen. Don't allow society to raise your kids. Don't allow the school systems to raise your kids. Don't allow a screen to raise your kids. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Your commitments, they determine and they show your values, they shape your life. And number three, they determine my destiny. It's not just the course of my life, but Mark chapter 8 says it this way. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? What do you benefit if in this life you gain it all? You have the popularity. You have the money. You have this and you have that. You've accumulated so much stuff. 
But in the end, when you cross that finish line, he looks at you and says, depart from me. I don't know who you are. Oh, you try to argue your case, but, but, but God, you don't understand. I went to church twice a month. I had two Bibles. But God, you don't understand. I was a greeter. I sang on the worship team. He says, I don't know who you are. See, the choices that you make, the commitments that you make in life, they determine the destiny of your life. What you do, what you value, what you pursue. It's not just the road you travel, but it's the finish line you cross. The second thing that we've got to look at today, number one, was be resolved in my commitments. Number two is realize that there are consequences. Did you know that for every action, there's a reaction? For everything you do, every choice that you make, there's going to be some sort of consequence, whether that's a good consequence or a bad consequence. There, nonetheless, there's going to be a consequence. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 and 6 say this. For it is impossible, say impossible, it's impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened. Now we talked about this verse a little bit a few weeks ago. I'm going to dive into it just a little bit more today. Verse 6 goes on to say, and who then turn away from God? It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance. Now, in life, Every choice you make has a consequence. The average person lives approximately 70 years. That's 25,550 days. Many, many more choices than just that. And the author of Hebrews says that we have a choice to make. The choice is to either stay committed to the best thing that ever happened to our lives or turn away and reap the consequence of our actions. Now, the reason that oftentimes we have a hard time with verse 4 and verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 6 is because we don't really want to deal with the consequence. How many of you enjoy the consequence? Not often, do we? Unless it's a really good consequence. You're like, okay, if I give you a dollar fifty, you're going to give me an ice cream cone. That's a good consequence. Right, right? You know, the first thing we did yesterday, my wife and I got off the airplane in Kansas City, and we had to go to QT and get gas. One thing that I had been longing for all week long was a soft-serve ice cream cone. I know that's weird, but that's what I was longing for. I didn't have that all week long. They didn't have soft-serve where we were, and I was, I was wanting it. I thought it was going to be there. I was, had already anticipated eating it numerous times a day. And then I get off the airplane, and my wife said, what do you need to do? I said, we need to get gas and an ice cream cone. She's like, you need an ice cream cone? I said, yes, I need an ice cream cone. So I went, and in that moment, I gave them the dollar whatever it was for the ice cream cone and I enjoyed the consequence of the moments 
But oftentimes, we don't enjoy the consequences. We don't like it when there's negative responses. So for verses like 4 and 6, we, we tend to push them to the side. And we say, well, I'd rather read John 3.16, for God so loved the world. I'd rather read, you know, the book of Romans Chapter 8, verse 1, where it says, there's now no condemnation to those that believe. I'd rather read the verses that talk about Jesus first loving. I'd rather read the verses that have a great response than reading ones like verse 6. It says, it's impossible to bring such people back to repentance. By rejecting the Son of God, they themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. We don't like the consequence, do we? I want to look at three consequences to rejecting Jesus, if we may. Number one, you reject Jesus' impact on your life. By stepping away from Jesus, we're, we're rejecting his impact on our lives. But let me clarify something for you today. God is not against you. Listen carefully. God is not against you. In fact, God is for you. Luke chapter 19 verse 10 says that Jesus came with a sole purpose to seek and to save that which was lost. God's not against you. God's for you. God desires that all would come to this place in this moment of repentance. His truest interest is forgiving you of your sins, not punishing you for your sins. His arms are continuously outstretched toward you, inviting you to be a part. In fact, in Lamentations chapter 3, it says this, The faithful love of the Lord never ends. Come on, that's awesome, isn't it? The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. It's almost as if he gets close to the end of the day and His mercy, that mercy tank is getting lower and lower. Come on, is your mercy tank ever get lower and lower for, for people? Come on, come on. I know it does. Our mercy tank gets lower and lower, and I can imagine the mercy tank that God has for me. There's days where Jesus is going, it's going to be a close one. But the next morning, the jar of mercy is renewed and refreshed. His love never runs out for us. He truly pursues us with an unending grace and unending mercy. Here's what I want you to get. You cannot accidentally lose your salvation. Listen, you can't accidentally lose it, but you can reject it. That's what Paul's talking about. The, the reason is that God never takes away our free will. He is always willing and able to save us, but there comes a time when some people will no longer be willing to be saved. They make a conscious decision to separate themselves from God. God continues to love us, 
but there may be those that no longer choose to love him. Now, there would be some that would try to convince you that a person never really was saved before they were faking it, faking their Christianity. I'm not going to say that. It's not my place to judge salvation. It's my place to share the good news of Christ. He's the only one that can save. He's the only one that can change us. He's the only one that can transform us. He's the one that makes us brand new. But notice, in this scripture, the problem is not God. The problem is us. It's impossible to bring people back to repentance, those who were once enlightened, who have turned away from God. It's not God. God's not the issue. We're the issue here. We make a conscious decision to no longer walk with Him. We push aside the conviction and our conscience over and over and over again to the point that we no longer feel guilt in our lives. We no longer feel sorry for our sins. We've rejected the impact of Jesus on our lives. The second is this. You reject Jesus' purpose for your life. You fall away from his intended purpose for your life and you find yourself just going through the motions of life. Same day, over, and it's kind of like your life is Groundhog Day. You wake up and it's the same thing over and over and over and over again. You lose the purpose that God has for your life. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, I don't know that God's got a purpose for my life. I, I really don't even know what that purpose is. Can I just tell you, God has a purpose for every one of you. Those of you that are in the room today, those of you that are watching online, God has a purpose for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13 says this, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will what? Find me. Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of the man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Psalm 37, 23. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of our lives. Though they stumble, they will not fall. For the Lord holds them up by the hand. Understand this. God has a plan. God has a purpose. The problem is, sometimes we get our focus off of him. Do you remember Peter? The disciples were in the boat. Do you remember this? The storm was, was raging around them, and, and, and they see this figure. Some of them thought it was a ghost out on the water, and, and suddenly they figured out that it was Jesus. And, and, and Peter says this, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come to you. Jesus says, come on. Peter steps out of the boat eyes upon Jesus and he begins to walk 
toward Jesus, walking on the water. Now, this wasn't still water. It'd be one thing if he was walking on smooth water, right? You've all seen smooth water. There was wind blowing. There was storms going on. Could you imagine the waves? So he's up. He's down. He's up. He's down. But he's walking on the water toward Jesus. But something happened. Peter lost his focus. And he began to sink. But here's what I love. Jesus reached out his hand. He grabbed Peter by the hand and he brought him back up. Has a little conversation with him on the water. And they climb back in the boats. Some of us are at that place right now where we're walking on the water. But we're losing focus. We're finding ourselves knee deep in the water waist deep in the water shoulder deep in the water some of you your nose is barely above the water you're trying to stay afloat and jesus said would you just reach out to me jesus wants to direct your path we must choose to follow him finally number three you reject jesus's impact on others. You see, we're called to be Jesus with skin on, if you would, to the world around us. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 7 and 8 says this, when the ground soaks up the faith of the falling water and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. But if a field bears thorns and thistles, it's useless. The farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. Look at this. When the field is fruitful, when the field has nourishment from heaven, it produces good fruit. God blessing, his blessing follows. But when it's full of thorns and thistles, it's of no use. We will never fully know the extent of the impact of our lives on other people this side of heaven. The author says the person who falls away faces the consequence of having a bad impact on others. On the other side, when we cling to the goodness of God, there is hope. Look what it says in verse 19 and 20. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. It's a strong anchor. In the middle of that storm, it's going to keep us where we need to be. It's going to hold us in place to keep us secure. I'm going to challenge you today, never give up. But daily make that commitment to God. Daily make that choice to follow him. In fact, your action step for the day is this. Choose today the commitment that you will make. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. 
as for me and my house, I'm choosing today. We're going to serve the Lord. I wonder for you, what commitment will you make? What will you choose? Would you pray with me? Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to you.